welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly, Editor of PW Comics World, and Editor of the Fanatic PW's Twice a Month Comics and Pop Culture, New- Pop Culture Newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald, and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And you can check us out on Twitter at, at PWComicsWorld. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at PWComicsWorld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes and on Facebook. We're at Facebook.com slash PWComicsWorld. And also, don't forget, if you like what you're hearing, please give us a rating or a comment and give us some feedback. We love feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And we love our listeners. All right. Well, uh, dear listeners, welcome to a very special gala 400th uh, episode um, highlight show <laughs> for more to come. Uh, we've got a special treat for you. Yeah. Um, uh, now, listeners, when we say highlight show, this is all original content. Don't worry, it's not a clip show. Yeah, we're just sitting around, you know, like, uh, kicking around memories. Yeah. You know, hey, guys, you remember that time, man? That was so cool. That's basically it, yeah. yeah. We're, we're going to take you by the hand, uh, you know, down memory lane a little bit, and talk about our hearts and maybe a few lows of, uh, yeah, of well, doing 400. And let's be for real, actually, it's probably more than 400. Yeah, we know. can't count we 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 numbered some of the uh, shows uh, from our early comp, uh, uh, shows a little differently than we do now. Yeah, well, to begin with, we used to, when we had um, a multi-part episode, we numbered it all as the same episode, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> because that they were of the same episode, just broken down so that they didn't overwhelm our computers. Yeah, um, but at some point, we were like, "This is a confusing numbering method," and now. A so two-parter is two it. different yeah. numbers. <laughs> but the fact remains that if you count the numbers that we have yes. by <laughs> our own... We have used. Yes. This is the 400th. Yes. yes. Exactly. This <laughs> is the 400th episode. Yes. Some of our early episodes were two-part episodes. Right. So That's it. That's yeah. all. Yeah. yeah. But Some the of them actually were three or four, too. Of the count, there was three. But three you know what? Count me. Yes. We've only used 400 numbers, yeah. regardless <laughs> of how many shows we have. Yeah. you got to so, mark time somehow, There people. you go. Yeah. So, um, and one more thing we should mention. Uh, we we intend to dedicate this show to the late uh, and really extraordinary uh, Tom Spurrier. Oh, yeah. I was just about to say, you know, just to... Bring down the boisterous spirits for just a moment. We just really want to remember Tom Spurgeon, who passed away um, a couple of weeks ago. As we talk about this, uh, he's having a memorial on December 14th in Columbus, Ohio, where he lived and where he passed away. And, um, you know, Tom is just a huge presence over all of this. I mean, over comics journalism, um, over comics culture. And I, you know... The day that he passed, I, you know, Tom and I were rivals, I'm not going to lie. I mean, we were very competitive, and we definitely had some spats and some fights, but, you know, we were in the bunker together, and so many people were reaching out to me to um, ask me how I was doing and to offer me condolences, and, you know, we weren't even close friends, I have to be honest, um, but, I, you know, I had such enormous respect for Tom, and uh, as time, the more time has passed since his passing and that I realize he isn't here anymore, it, the harder it well, becomes. It's really huge. It's, it's really extraordinary. Hard to believe. Uh, I, I mean, I, I mean, Tom's spirit really, I hovers over really the very beginning of comics coverage here, uh, at PW, as does, as do you, you, Heidi McDonald. But I mean, even before you worked at PW, um, but, but, but Tom was a presence, uh, and um, the back and forth, um, I, I recall our early coverage and our, of our first newsletter was some hot shots from from Tom <laughs> uh, back and forth. Uh, I think I might have even called him a pedant or something like Woo! that. But, you know, uh, it, 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 as I look back on that time, because, I mean, uh, I mean, Tom has gone on to be uh, really one of my, really a great 
source for information and really a friendly presence overall. And, and Calvin, you were a guest at Absolutely. CXC this show, so you must, and I'm, I'll never get to go to comics uh, at Crossroads Columbus, which he was the showrunner of, and I, you know, I'm, I'm devastated to know that I'll never be able to go to the show. And, and in September, uh, you know, a month before uh, he passed away, I was there. I was there because Tom was determined for me to be there. They paid for everything. They just brought me out there. He didn't even ask. He said, just hang out. He didn't put me on panels. Hang around. Enjoy it. Uh, and I did. And yeah. it's an extraordinary show. And uh, because of that, we do have a recording. I did uh, interview Tom about the show, what he was doing on right. So we we have that on one of uh, in yeah. our uh, more to come our. Uh, you know, the, probably the last conversation I had with Tom was at SPX, where he was talking about the show, and you know he was saying that maybe you know I would be the guest next year or something. You know, like he definitely wanted me to come to the show, sure. and um, you know, I mean, certainly, uh, you know, Tom was feisty with the competitors, but you know, he, like we really, I mean, there wasn't even a hatch to bury. Uh, you know, yeah, it was just I mean, like it's just I don't know. It's like that was like, like a rite like of family. passage. We in some like ways, and some ways for me, I think it was kind of like you know, hey, welcome to the comics world. You know, yeah. where uh, Tom is going to say, well, what about this? What about that? And what about this? Yeah. And, and and that's all fine and good because he truly was uh, one of the most knowledgeable comics people uh, uh, I've ever encountered. Yeah, he was just insanely knowledgeable, and you know, he kept us all one hundred. Absolutely, you know, he absolutely. Really did. And, and, um, and the comics reporter was really an. Ex- Unbelievable resource. Yeah. And, so, you know, he was only 50 years old. And, uh, yes. um, it's so weird. no one was expecting it. No. Um, no, no one was. And, you know, hey, uh, you know, we've suffered another loss as well. Um, just mm, this yes. past week, uh, yes. Howard Cruz passed away. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, Howard is the nicest person I've well, ever absolutely. met Besides in my Besides being life. a great cartoonist. Yeah, uh, and a great cartoonist. But just like as a human being, he was so kind and giving. <laughs> just at the... The Harvey Awards this year, Alison Bechtel was yes. talking about Howard Cruz. Absolutely. That's right. Um, and I'm trying to think back to when I, I first met Howard, and I think it was when a new edition of uh, Stuck Rubber Baby, his masterpiece, really. Uh, this, uh, which is being released next year. By yes, the by the first second, which actually I really did not even know up until uh, it was mentioned uh, at the time of his death. But... Um, uh, but but uh, another uh, edition of it, I believe it was in the 90s, came out. And I think it's where I first got to meet him because I did wrote a story about it and got a chance to meet him. And really to find out more about what that book was about, uh, which was groundbreaking. We're him talking about uh, the gay rights movement and the civil rights movement and uh, the how the two forces were intertangled in those years. So Yeah, it's really, honestly, it's a very pioneering graphic Oh, without novel. a doubt. It came out from Paradox doubt. Press. I think it actually came out from Vertigo, but it, it was started under a whole different... It started under Paradox, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've often said this about Stuck Rock Ravy, that this is a true graphic novel in that you do not read it in one night. You yeah. read, like, a couple chapters, and then you set it down, and you, you know, it is dense. It is so filled yeah. with information and drawings. You you and, must read novels very differently than I do, Heidi. <laughs> what do you mean? At, at most novels, I... I I don't put them down. <laughs> oh. Some people read faster than well, others. Well, I like to read it. <laughs> we read different ways. Well, we can, we, read, we can talk about this later. I just want to say, Howard, you were amazing. Yeah, I'm so lucky to have known you. Yes, and uh, I can, I ditto for me, uh, the nicest <clears> guy in the world, um, uh, and really just a, an extraordinary, uh, uh, he changed, you know, he, he changed the comics a world. Yeah, his book really changed the comics Total world. Um, so. I, I, yeah, we edited gay comics. Did we mention that? Um, I don't think we've mentioned it <laughs> yeah, yet, he, but we he should. He mentioned <laughs> the first gay comics anthology. Yes. I mean, he was totally, like, this was the underground comics, gay comics. It was the first one. And he introduced so many cartoonists. And, yeah, he was amazing. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. What else? Yes. Uh, well, we mentioned Wendell, uh, his, another great script that he put together. So, anyway, um, uh, we'll miss you, Howard. For sure. And speaking of the comics world's losses, um, ABC, yes, that's right, television channel, is going to have a Stan Lee Memorial special coming up. Um, so, you know, check your TV listings for when it's on in your area. It's on the 20th, actually, yeah. So, uh, which I believe Stan's birthday was the 30th of December. Uh, so, uh, it's a little bit of a birthday life celebration for him. But, uh, yeah, it was actually taped 
the day after New York Comic Con, and all the comics luminaries were there, and it was a really special night. So, and it's going to be a special. So, before we get into uh, our in-depth discussion of how Kate and I read, and then our 400th episode <laughs> celebration, there is a couple of news notes. We've all been we've been away for quite a while, and we will explain why. There are uh, reasons. There, there are reasons. But uh, there, but it's basically very slow news while we've all been absent. But there's a couple of uh, things that we should definitely talk about. Um, and uh, one of them is that we went to Anima, Anime NYC and, oh, yeah. it, and it kicked ass. Yes, yes it did. Yeah, Kate, were you here? Were you? Well, Heidi, here's the thing. I'm actually the one of us who really likes Anime NYC mm-hmm. and has been cheerleading it from day one. Um, but I wasn't able to go because I was in Japan. Oh, that's right. Right. Okay. So, so you so were. That's the I was getting experience. my. I was getting my anime experience <laughs> yeah, somewhere yeah, totally you different. Were no, that, you were no fan. Excuse. You were, you know, the custody. You were the president. Well, you know, we want to hear about your trip. But uh, this was my first time yes. doing anime NYC. Yeah. And I want to uh, hear all about that. Because I hadn't been in past years. But then everybody, like that morning, I, I've been out of town for it in past years. But then that morning, everyone was just like my god the show is so great and i was like oh you know what and the, i better get over there and uh yeah, it was just over at the javits and then i was blown away i mean yeah. you know we have been quite candid about our thoughts about what repop has done for anime uh and let me tell you uh this was re- i know repop people were there and they were just walking around <laughs> and being like Ugh. Because Listen. it was kick-ass. There was 40,000 people there. It was so crowded, absolutely. vibrant. This is absolutely... It sounds like it was maybe its best year yet. Absolutely, oh, yeah, absolutely. 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 Well, Calvin, you've been to all of them, so you can... Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. And, um, and, uh, and the fabulous Bridget Alveson did a uh, Anime NYC um, uh, report for us also. As you said, they sold, uh, well, as I said, 46,000 unique uh, attendees this year based on ticket sales. Um, up from 36,000 last year, uh, took over the entire main exhibition floor. Uh, it was delightful. Look, the attendees, uh, they're, they're just so cute. Uh, <laughs> it was so the, young and vibrant. Um, in you know, I will say that it is kind of an elaborate, uh, themed, um, uh, yard sale. Uh, but it's, it's growing and it's going to be become, I really do think we will be talking about it in more like Anime Expo uh, in the next three to five years. I think this thing is, it will just get bigger and bigger. Well, but I mean, the, the market now, was right. Well yeah, well, yeah, I mean, let's, you know, I mean, we're, we're also going to talk, uh, as if this episode wasn't loaded enough, just like a baked potato, let me tell you, uh, we're also going to talk about some trends of the past decade. Yes, listeners, we're coming yeah. to the end of a decade. Yeah. And, uh, our, show doesn't, our show doesn't completely... Uh, overlap with that decade. There, there were a few years without us, but we covered enough of it that our 400 a, episodes in the decade will coincide yes, largely. It was a fleeting, insignificant time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously, the rise of streaming is hugely, um, you know, contributed to anime NYC being a, a big hit. But yeah, I mean, it was. I, I said a congratulatory note to. Uh, Peter and Greg, who put on the show, especially yeah. Peter, mm-hmm. and uh, I was very happy for them. I was just so thrilled for them yeah. that it was such a good show. Yeah, I mean, streaming has definitely built an audience for anime, but quite frankly, this is not the first anime boom in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I mean, New York is the biggest city in the country, one of the biggest cities in the world, and we did not have a proper anime show. You had to go out to see Caucus. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yeah. of course that. Um, and I mean, no offense to see caucus, but if you can get something in the city itself, why not? Um, you know, so, but it, it isn't automatic. It isn't automatic. There have been a lot of pretenders to the throne. <coughs> repop. <coughs> well, that, uh, did not, that, so. did not go big like this. And it's on the people who made the show. They did a good job and they put good seed in fertile ground. So listen, I'm not trying to totally, I don't want to totally put down Repop. I'm just, because, you know, listen, they want to do a good show. I mean, there's people yeah. who are absolutely one who serve this audience and to put on an event that, that they will enjoy. But, I, you know, I think they've had some some struggles about doing it. But I, I want to tell you this. They are not done. Okay? So they are doing at, uh, at this, I haven't even had a chance to write this up at the beat. But at Emerald City this year, they're going to be doing a uh, anime focus at Emerald City, and I think they just—I was looking—they uh, teamed up 
Well, I don't want to mistake this, but I know that, let me put it this way. There is more email in my inbox that I'm trying to find uh, that they are doing more with the anime in the anime space. Um, yeah, it, okay, here we go. Emerald City debuts a new feature for anime, manga, and K-pop fans. That's going to be uh, called Pop Asia, mm. which will be kind of a little co-located with uh, with Emerald well, City. I think the oh, problem. I wish I you could see the problem with, on the face of my. Co-host I mean, I yeah. think the problem with, with what Reed is doing is that they just don't seem to be taking their time to actually trying to plan a real show. They seem to constantly want to tag it onto something, force it into something. Uh, I just think they need to, to plan a show from the ground up. And that doesn't seem to be what they're doing. They're half-hearting it. It's not... Well, here's, what, here's another piece of news that went out over the wire. Uh, just before you before you comment, because I, I have a feeling that both of you don't know about this, um, mm. that they announced that they will uh, be doing the Crunchyroll Expo. Did you guys know that? You know, I actually saw something about that. Yeah. Um, but didn't look at it yeah. deeply because well, I was uh, on a deadline for something yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they, they announced, uh, and again, this is something I've been a little preoccupied This just so, came out in the last yeah, 48, 24 yeah, hours? Well, yeah. No, nope. No, this came out in the last couple. It came out right before Thanksgiving. Yeah, okay. That's why. No, well, uh, so, but yeah, they're going to do the 2020 Crunchyroll Expo. will take place over Labor Day weekend at the San Jose Convention Center uh, next year. So, you know, they are staying in this space. They want, you know, I think... I think, you know, they obviously realize that this is a very important space, a very passionate space, and, you know, teaming with Crunchyroll is probably a pretty good way to get some authenticity. I think that's what's been missing in Repops and yeah. is the authenticity. Yeah, I think, let's put it this way. Now, i got to explain exactly why I have such strong feelings, because you know what? There are a lot of people who put on bad anime shows, and you don't hear me digging on that. Mm, that's true. It's because Read Pop has done an excellent job with New York Comic Con. They have it in them to do a good fan show. And so when they just miss the mark so spectacularly, it feels like they don't care. Right. Like they're just like, oh, yeah, I guess we should do that. To which my answer is, hey, if you don't want to do it, don't do it, man. Or let somebody else who knows what they're doing. They're just trying to sort of like, you know, be a distraction away from better shows. Yeah. Uh, like so there's like a dog like a, in the manger so no, kind of We have aspect. to be in the space that so we'll throw up a, you know. Random piece of crap. You know, a brochure show uh, until we figure out what we're doing. And, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll throw up a photo op. And it's not working. <clears throat> in any event, Anime NYC actually yeah. is, is excellent. Is excellent and is growing. Uh, it's building methodically uh, to a great show. All the it's big just publishers really fun. were yeah. there. Uh, there was uh, there was some pretty good programming. Uh, as well, uh, the, the Dr. Stone creators were there. Uh, one of the best attended panels was a U.S. publishing versus Japanese publishing where uh, there was a number of American publishers there. I know Gina Gagliano was there. Eric Koh from Udon was there. And, and they kind of talked about the differences. Apparently it was Pat. Um, uh, the Yen Press panel was just like a mob. Oh, yeah, it was SRO. It was in yeah. a big hall yeah, and overflowing. And I was fortunate enough to be able to go and see the Weathering with You anime that premiered uh, on the final. It was a great way to end the show. Um, it, they they screen the anime, and it's a wonderful anime, a lot of fun uh, on the last day of the show. And it was the perfect ending to um, the three day show. Yeah. So, but yeah, props, kudos. props to them. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm really excited. I mean, New York has some really great shows, and of course, it has New York Comic Con. It has FlameCon, great yeah. FlameCon yeah. cannot uh, be and, right it's underestimated. Fantastic! Uh, it has Mocha, uh, exactly. great, and, and it has Anime NYC. And yeah, those and are yes. four great shows, all of them. And they really do corner, hold a lot down a lot of corners of the market. Yeah, and they're completely diverse. I mean, yeah. they're all of yeah. them, yeah. Are yeah. so different, different audiences. But all yeah, it's know, a Venn girls. diagram, but yeah. it's a very happy Venn diagram. Venn diagram is all three of us because we go to all of our shows. So. We do. Um, so, so we also had some, uh, news about a friend of the show, uh, uh, Prince of Cats is, Yeah, uh, big news. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, uh, Prince of Cats, I mean, we heard a while back that it's been optioned for a film, but apparently as happens in Hollywood, it's kind of moved around a little bit. I, I think you guys are better at the movie side of it than I am, but Spike Lee is uh, on board now. Is it still legendary? Who's, who's? I don't remember who the um, the studio is or the production house, but in any event, uh, uh, Ron Wimberly, uh the creator, uh, is going to be working closely with Spike Lee, who's going to direct uh, 
He's going to be working on the script. Uh, it's very exciting. And the Prince tell, of the, Cats. tell them what Prince of Cats is. I was going to say, oh. if you don't know what Prince of Cats is, <clears throat> uh, and, um, a little well, this will come up in our uh, podcast in a, discussion will, as yes, well. Yes, it will. But I, I want to say uh, it's a uh, it's a uh, adaptation of Romeo and Juliet, told from the viewpoint of Tybalt, whose uh, nickname is the Prince of Cats, and it's written in, in a hip hop style. And it's that I, you know somebody not in comics. One of my friends said, "Did you hear Spike Lee's doing this Romeo and Juliet movie?" And uh, they're like, kind of saying, "Oh, how corny! We don't need that." I was like, "You know what? You haven't read you the book. Have no, you haven't read the book. No idea. If you've read the book, you'd be like, wow, this is you know a great it's, book.'" And then you're like, "Spike Lee is the one living human who yeah. can do this movie and make it spectacular." So very excited yes. for Ron. And we should also mention that uh, uh, Ron has released this year a new edition. A new um, trade paperback edition of uh, uh, Prince of Cats, and he he always makes a few changes <laughs> in every edition because this is, I think, the third or the fourth one since the original was published by Vertigo in 2012. So uh, check it out. I think it's from, it's, I believe it's from Image, the the newest one. Yes, uh, new one is from Image as third, well. Yeah. So uh, uh, check it out. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, IDW announced that uh, they're going to do. A special, uh, separate Spanish language edition of George Takei's, uh, They Call This Enemy, uh, along with, uh, a number of other, you know, I had it up here, now I don't, um, uh, with a, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog title, and <laughs> I, I don't have them in front of me, so I can't tell you exactly. Give me a second here, and okay, here we go. Uh, Panda Roja. Uh, uh, in the Spanish is going to be uh, uh, published by them as long with, as well as the Spanish language Sarge the Hedgehog and um, it falls in line with a couple of other houses obviously Toon Books has been yes, doing this too yeah. with, uh, with simultaneously English and Spanish editions and Fanographics is launching uh, its yes. own uh, Spanish language line uh, starting with um, what's it pa- Paco Rocas yeah. Um, oh, yeah, they've been doing uh, a book of house. Yes, house. Yes. And, um, yeah. uh, and they launched that in November. So, um, uh, and, and everybody talks about how important it is uh, to embrace immigration, to understand that this is how this country was built. Uh, we are, we're living in unfortunate times now. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we have to put up with it and we can challenge it. That's correct. And this is the best way to do it. It is, and you know what? Not only is it amazing for American readers who are Spanish language speaker, uh, speakers, but, um, you know, in this whole hemisphere, yeah. there is, uh, many people speak Spanish and getting comics translated into Spanish is actually a bit of an issue because all of the, uh, I, I talked to Linears, the Argentinian cartoonist mm-hmm. about this. He has a small publishing company, but you know, a lot of comics that come to Latin America are Spanish editions. There's not a lot of Latin American comics publishers. So this yeah. is really great for the entire, entire Spanish speaking world, not just the US. And in almost all of these cases, including IDW and Tune Books and Fanographics, librarians and educators were really coming to the publishers and asking for this. In fact, George K actually announced this at the was it the National um I always mangle this, but it's the NCTE. The uh, National Educational Teacher... Na- the National Council of Teachers, Teachers of English Annual yes. Convention in Baltimore. So he announced it there. Uh, it was embargoed until that time. So, um, you know, coming to a Spanish well, language bookstore to you. <laughs> all, right. all right. Well, speaking of foreign languages, Kate, tell us the reason why we have been absent for a while... Is because Kate was absent and Calvin and I couldn't do it without her. So yeah, well we we did (laughs) we did run uh, interviews for my first week out of the country, but for the second week I knew I would be in China and I knew the Great Firewall of China was going to be a pain. Um, But it my crappy hotel Wi-Fi combined with the Great Firewall of China managed to outsmart my VPN ninety five percent of the time. Wow! And I mean there were definitely workarounds. But the workarounds were just maybe a little too much for us for, yeah. to get a podcast episode out. So I it just won- did not happen. I wonder if in China it's like it was when I visited Cuba where, like, one person downloads it tediously and then disseminates it. Well, it yeah. It was like the downloading was incredibly slow in to, Cuba. But to, yeah. to be fair to China, they have a whole ecosystem. I mean, 
this is intentional, right. an entire parallel ecosystem where, yeah, sure, you can mess around with a VPN app, sort of technically illegal, but probably people won't come after you and you'll get like maybe crappy reception and it'll be a giant pain. Or you can just use the ecosystem of approved right. websites and just have fast internet like everyone else in the rest of the world. Right. Um, and to be fair, it's not just Chinese websites that get through. It's strange things. Like, for example, NPR, no problem. <laughs> CNN, no. 20 balls all the way, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> okay, NPR, no problem. Uh, New York Times, absolutely not. Um, yeah, my, mo- my mom was like, oh, NPR should feel insulted. Um, you know, like, uh, anything Google, no. Anything Microsoft? Yes. <laughs> Which makes you wonder what Microsoft Weird. did. Yeah. Um, didn't do. Yeah, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's, it's just a very strange internet experience. It was a whole parallel world. For example, um, the biggest internet thing there is WeChat. Yeah. It's huge. It's like if you put Facebook and Twitter in a blender with a little bit of Skype on top. Yeah. Um, unfortunately... It is not customer friendly. Um, you can't just sign up for WeChat. Mm. You have to get another person who already has WeChat, who has not signed anybody else up in the last month, oh who God. has never been banned from WeChat, mm. to to validate you as a human being. And it like I we even tried to get somebody at the hotel to help us, and even they it was too complicated. It couldn't be done. It was like a five-step process. Wow. And you can get kicked off of WeChat at any time for any reason, and they will not tell you why. Oh. And, you know, I mean, this is a big deal because it is, like, Twitter and Facebook with a little bit of Apple Pay on top because, like, every once in a while it'll be, you can, like, you can can pay with WeChat in person. Mm -hmm. Like, you'll be at a coffee shop and there'll be, like, a little WeChat symbol. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you got booted for reasons unknown, too bad for you. Um, so yeah, I, I failed at WeChat. Oh, but you, I'm sure you succeeded at many other things. I succeeded at, at having a good time. Another thing I failed at, or rather maybe it failed me, is listeners, if you've been listening for a while, you know I love Legends of Galactic Heroes. If you haven't been listening for a while, or you maybe don't remember what Legends of Galactic Heroes is, in Japan, it is legendary. It is hmm, culturally almost on the level of Star Wars to Japanese people. This was a series of space opera science fiction novels that came out in the 80s. They were a huge hit. They have been made into two animes. The second one is coming out now, and it is simulcast in the United States. You can listen to it on, you can watch it on Crunchyroll. Um, it has a musical. It has a Takarazuka musical. It has, like, they were they were showing the second season of the anime in the movie theaters. Like, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's not when I say it's on the level of Star Wars. I mean fandom wise, not commercially. Right, 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 right. Like they don't. It hasn't been made into a theme park or a cookie or anything like that. It, it doesn't have the marketing might of Disney behind it or George Lucas for that matter. Um, but it's much beloved, and so. But it doesn't have all the things that a Disney thing would have. So when I was poking other fans online, because there isn't a lot of fandom for it in the United States, because even though it was made in the 80s originally, for reasons best known to Japanese publishers, they thought, oh, Americans don't like space opera, Uh and they didn't import it for 30 years. Go figure. (laughs) So I was, you know, bothering the small English language fandom going like, hey, guys, what should I do? I'm going to join Japan. And they said, oh, there is a fan bar. And I said, a what? And they said, a fan bar. It is called Cafe Seadler. Some fans just randomly set it up and, like, run it after work. Wow. And, you know, you can go to their website and look it up. And so, like, I was staying in Kyoto. I had done a day trip to Osaka. This thing was in Osaka. It was in this neighborhood, Namba, which I can only describe as like the old part of the Vegas strip from the 50s oh, I wanna go. meets 
meets like Atlantic City but shrunk down to pocket size meets like the cheap part of Niagara Falls and like it was it was like old neon like from the 60s and it was like raining and dark and I walked up and down the street like five times including going into a really tacky alpine themed hotel and like nobody knew where this place was I finally found it it was in this building that like, I've never seen anything like this before. It's a building where you can rent. It's like an apartment building. Instead of apartments, you're renting, like, a small place for, like, a niche bar. And it's a building that has nothing but, like, 40 niche bars that are clearly run by, like, semi-professionals. So the whole building is... Nothing but bars. little niche bars. Wow. All which have closed doors. They don't have anything. They just have a sign on the door. You knock, you go in. It's like Comiquet for bars. It's like Comiquet for bars. <laughs> it's Cafe Sea Adler. Like so you got to know which was the one to go to in order to find it, yeah. Yeah. So, like, I mean, like, I have been wandering 40 minutes in the rain, in the dark. I go in. I see the big, the big Legend of Galactic Heroes poster on the door. I'm thinking, in America, no one has a fan bar. Maybe, maybe there's one somewhere. I don't know about it, but... For anything, there's no fan bar. You probably get sued in Japan, whatever. I get there, it's got the little sign, it's got the poster, I knock on the door, nothing. I knock on the door again, <laughs> nothing. I go on on the website and I put it into Google Translate and, you know, it says that it's open at this time, every day, whatever. It says, except for holidays, or anniversaries of battles, I think the implication being fictional ones in the series, or uh, at the the, uh, runner's discretion. And it was just dead. And, you know, I didn't see anyone else going in and out of those little fan bars either. Nothing. It was not, I just... What time of day were you there? I was there, it wasn't super late, but it wasn't super early. I went there at like, Seven. Yeah, that's when people would be in a bar. I think. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, probably, right? Yeah, I mean, I started, it was supposed to open at six. I was wandering around the neighborhood trying desperately to find it. By seven, I found it. Mm-hmm. Nothing. So, it was a very, very interesting experience. Right. Um, never got to go in. To never got to go in. Oh. But... Hey, it was an experience. <laughs> and fans, if you have gone into something like this, let us know. Um, in in China, the funny thing is that at the very same time that I was dealing with all the censorship and that like a lot of, of the fan favorite Chinese properties out there that fans I know really like, you can't get an official translation in, in English because the Chinese government's nervous about it. At the very same time, they approved and put out on Netflix an official translation of The Untamed, a live-action edition of Modao Zushi, which is a wacky, heartfelt, gay comedy Wuja adventure. Um, and they made it quote unquote not gay, but by all accounts, I guess the censors were straight. All they needed to do is take out the words love and marriage and not have anyone kiss. So they could have all the longing looks. They could even have them have a soul bond. They get every, they kept the entire plot of people coming back from the dead for each other. They just took out the words love and marriage and the kiss, and then it was suddenly no longer an embarrassment to China and could be a commercial success. Wow. It's, a, it's just a literally a whole different world culturally. It really is. Did you go in Japan? I know you've been before. You've been twice before, right? Once before. Once before. Just once. You, so you got to go to different places this time. Um, this time, the first time we just went to Tokyo and Kyoto because those are the big right. spots. But this time um, we stayed in the Kansai. 
So I had never been to Nara. I got to Nara. I got to Osaka. Um, saw bits of Kyoto I hadn't seen before. More of the, you know, naturey, outskirtsy mm-hmm. bits. Um, and I dragged my parents to Takarazuka to see the Takarazuka <laughs> nice. review, and it was quite an experience. Nice. And absolutely worth it. And when we told some Japanese tour guide about it later in Osaka, she was like, but how do you know about Takarazuka? <laughs> Would you tell our fans who maybe don't so, know what So, listeners, if, if you haven't been around and haven't heard me go on about this before, and it, it is anime adjacent, as witness oh, the fact they yeah. did a show of it for Legend of Galactic Heroes, and they do Rosa Versailles, and they've done pretty much all kinds of unexpected things that have been anime have or manga have been turned into Takarazuka shows. Takarazuka is... It's kind of like Broadway shows. If you also threw in a PG-rated Vegas review at the end oh. with, like, twice as many sparkles and three times as much neon, and even the people playing the male roles are all women. Oh. So it's it's basically like Japanese Broadway but with women. And it's not a small thing. It's huge. They run two theaters full-time all year round that are bigger than any Broadway theater. They have five troops running nonstop in either production or rehearsal um, all year round. And these are full-size theatrical troops, like 80 people in them each. So that's the equivalent of, and, you know, there's a new show every two months from pretty much every troop. So, you know, they run through a lot of shows every year, and they're, like, big, splashy, Broadway-esque productions, a lot of them. Wow. It's it's quite something, and there's a huge and long tie between this and the anime industry. Osama Tezuka, his museum is in Takarazuka for a reason. He was born there, raised there, was a huge fan of the Takarazuka Review, and uh, he himself said it influenced his comics and his comic art style. Um. And, you know, they've done a lot of anime-based shows and manga-based shows. If if you guys get a chance to see some, you know, on video, it's worth it. They, and, but it, this is in Tokyo? They've got a theater in Tokyo. They've got a theater in, in, in the town of Takarazuka, which is right. between Osaka and Kyoto. Okay. Well, Just in case mm-hmm. you're going to Japan, listeners. Yeah, you know, Osaka and Kyoto. And they also tour Japan on, on tours regularly. Gotcha. So if you happen to see it. It's worth it. The tickets are very reasonable. Um, you can you can get in for thirty bucks. Nice. Um, um, good seats are more expensive. But do they? Um, but do they have Dear Evan Hansen? I don't know. Well, they they will. They they do their own shows, but then they'll also import shows. So, for example, they will. And what they choose to import, who knows? It, it's it's not what you'd expect necessarily. Like for example, they I can't remember his name. He's the guy who did this the Scarlet Pimpernel show. Um, that's huge. They have rerun <laughs> Scarlet Pimpernel like six times. They have a special Blu-ray box set of it. Like it's a big hit. It always well, sells there's out. There's two kinds of countries on this world. There's those who love the Scarlet Pimpernel and those who yeah, don't go. Yes, and Japan <laughs> likes it. So, yeah. um, it sounds like you you um dis uh you know you missed the podcast for very good reasons, Kate. Yeah, yeah. I tried very hard to make it work in China, but the firewall of China was just okay. not going. Yeah. No. All right. What well, we um, should we segue to uh, our very special, our very special four hundredth episode. Uh, episode of More to Come? Yeah, yes, so I want absolutely. You to have some music in right here, you know, like you know, da 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 da. da. I don't know. Just find you know, fanfare from Verity or something, <laughs> or I'll maybe not. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, <laughs> Heidi, if we put something in, it needs to be absolutely. Uh, copyright cleared so that we don't oh, find ourselves in trouble because this is a professional operation people there we go all right so i'll just tell them there's no <laughs> so calvin you went back go and on. listened to it was 2011 it was a 2011 barack um, obama more, was president more to come a number one um uh it was uh a charmingly disorganized show if i may say so uh, let's let's look back at those thrilling years of yesteryear um, let's see. I mean, the big news, as I recall it, uh, as I re- heard it once again, was the new 52 reboot. Yeah. Um, we, there was much discussion of that. 
there's also a great discussion of the Whippy Kids' humongous initial first printing of six million copies. Six for, million for copies. Whippy Kid number six. Oh, for six, number six. Okay. Yeah. So it was four six, but according to your you, it was six million copies. Which okay. We can check on that, but I nobody objected. I think I might have said six million copies in print of the whole series, but anyway, maybe. Well, maybe that, maybe, yeah, maybe. Uh, maybe I just said it because yeah. uh, I thought he was, I thought his printings were around a million copies. Yeah, I think that might have But, so we six. might have exaggerated that yeah. a little bit. Sorry, um, you guys, I mean, you but know. these things happen. Yeah. Uh, and as I recall, let's see, we have here. Uh, we were talking about some books that were coming out at the time also, so um, oh boy, uh, the Influencing Machine was just out, so we were really yeah. big on that, and yeah. that's The History of Journalism by Barbara Glasgow yeah, and Josh Mayfield. Uh, it's an ex- excellent book that you can go to the pub- you can go to Publishers Weekly and read my author profile. Of, of Gladstone and Newfield. <clears throat> and I would an bet money. Still in print. I would bet money, listeners, that if you live in the United States and you have a decent public library, you can probably get that book on interlibrary loan. That's because true. librarians love it. Absolutely. It's still in print. Uh, we also talked about uh, Meta Mouse was being released, Art Spiegelman's uh, um, The Making of Mouse, uh, Horror Hospital Unplugged, Keith Mayerson's. Uh, well, the book was brought back into print. Sort of a really unusual book that was published years ago, uh, way ahead of its time. So, uh, so that was issue, or excuse me, episode number one. Well, what a strange world it was. But, you know, we can, we can jump forward, um, and I mean, maybe all of you can talk about some episode that had some meaning to you. No? Well, <laughs> I think we should talk about the topics that we came up. We may yeah, not remember. Sure. We may not remember the exact episode number, but we know what we've talked about. Sure. What do you yeah. Yeah. Um, well, uh, boy, you guys go first. Tell you what. I mean, you know what? We started off, let me tell you something. We started off with a bang because I do feel like the new 52 was a huge yeah. Yeah. influence over the whole decade. And, um. For better know, and worse. For better and worse. Oh yeah. My, my definitely for better or worse. You know, and if we, I, I think it's fascinating to look at where we were. Uh, at the start of, of this podcast 400 episodes ago and where we are now. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and the pamphlet, uh, you know, I'm making a gesture here where one hand's going up, uh, you know, this is a zero sum game because it's just, you know, as we're looking now, Marvel and DC, I mean, we've talked about this in the podcast ad nauseum, but as you know, they've had a lot of problems and, you know, kids, I mean, if Jeff Kinney hasn't sold six million copies of Wimpy Kid in 2011, I guarantee you he sold oh, that now. Sure, yeah. I mean, I just interviewed him actually for the beat. And um, he does a tour now where he goes around and brings people on stage and does all this stuff. And, you know, he's um, he's huge. They had a, a wimpy kid balloon in the damn parade. I mean, so many creators who we knew about, we talked about, not before they were cool. They were already cool. But before... They were, you know, mega super hit bestsellers of all time. Absolutely. Have have really um, vindicated publishers who were willing to put good comics out there. Absolutely. There's definitely an audience for something that's hilariously, quote unquote, not mainstream. Because a lot of the comics that are not mainstream comics are now... Way, way outselling mainstream well, comics. Well, I don't think mainstream has any meaning yeah. anymore. Well, you know what? well that's I, part of the story. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't. It does. Well, so, I mean, in terms of Marvel and DC. But I mean, yeah. in, but in general with comics. Just a second, no, because you I, have, Calvin. Oh, I have to. Because I have gone back and I have noted exactly some of because it seems like a great opportunity to send our listeners back into the past. Because these these podcast episodes haven't gone away. They're right there waiting right. for new but people I, to come okay. to them. For instance, uh, more to come, number 11 in uh, 2011. That's the Charlie Epto attacks in Paris. Yeah, uh, I mean, was yeah, that long ago? It was that long ago. So that's number 11, uh, which uh, I think was a real, it was a, a powerful uh, podcast yeah. discussion. Um, I think uh, a very timely right now in more to come, uh, episode number 17, we talked about the Watchmen pre- prequels. Um, we talked about Passions a, a, a whole range of uh, objections to it and investigations into what we thought about it. Um, one of our earlier uh, shows, we, we've been talking about this all the time, but about the gay superheroes, LGBT com, uh, LGBTQ community, and superheroes. Uh, uh, more to come, number 25 in 2012. And also... Um, uh, the slow-growing uh, influence of Kickstarter. 
I could go oh, on, yes, but, I, but the last one I will mention is more to come, uh, number 32, which I was our Jack Kirby two-part historical and one of our more popular podcasts. So, Kelvin, uh, what have been our most popular podcasts? Well, as it turns out, I've been looking back. And um, I pulled out some of ours that have over a 1,000 downloads among them. Uh, More to come, 153. Uh, really, the the podcast that introduced at least us to Nguzi Ukasu and it was the one in which I introduced. Yeah, exactly. Right. Kate yes. was on. Kate was ahead well, of the her. podcast did it, but she you did the interview. Jumped right <laughs> out. Kate is the one who told us about. Yes, absolutely. And um, I will say, I mean, I don't get a lot of scoops, but I am so glad and so proud to be, if not the first, one of the first. People from the Commerce Press to interview Ngozi. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because yeah, it was very clear from, you know, the discussions she and I had before we started the interview that she had some concerns because, you know, she was handling LGBT content. Mm-hmm. She didn't know, you know, how I was going to talk about it. She wanted to make sure I would be sensitive. It was definitely the concerns of maybe someone who hadn't done this kind of interview before. I think if somebody tried to interview her today, she would, you know... Not a problem. She would know the score. But even then, she was enormously popular. Oh, she was huge. Community. She was hugely popular. She raised, check raised please hundreds was, of thousands of dollars on Check Please was enormous, mm-hmm. but it hadn't... People who were not in the know, you know, hadn't broken through to the part where the publishing industry noticed her, to the part where... The comics press noticed her as much as she deserved. And, I mean, in the time since, it, it's become even more of a phenomenon. Absolutely. It was already an internet phenomenon, <laughs> but it has now, you know, it's got a major publisher. Um, you know, well, she's I gotten mean, a lot of recognition yeah, as well she deserves. And, I mean, you know, tied in with that just as a, you know, the trend over the past decade is just insanely towards... um Women cartoonists. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. they were huge at the beginning. I mean, I was just looking up, you know, Raina Telgemeier's Smile came out in February 2010. So not before the podcast, mm-hmm. but numerically in this decade. And, sure. you know, in a lot of ways, you could say that was the signature event of the Absolutely. decade. It was Raina's decade, and we were just living in it. But, um, yeah, Ngozi is huge. Um, so many cartoonists, yeah. uh, I mean, female cartoonists, it's like hard to think of male cartoonists who are actually doing well, unless they're uh, Dave Pilkey, okay, he's doing I, great, I, and I, also I, uh, Big Nate guy. Sometimes yeah. I I will joke, like if I'm I'm going down my favorite comics, I'll be like, oh yeah, um, I need a token man. Men, mm-hmm. men make comics sure. too, right? Yeah, we've, so. yeah, we've had that problem several <laughs> times on the show. Who do we talk about? These male dudes, they're, they're not keeping up. Couple of other of our most popular episodes. Uh, Heidi's interview with Lance uh, Fensterman in oh. 2016. Uh, more to come, number 190. That's uh, or 1400 downloads. Uh, the Rob Liefeld uh, interview. Oh, listeners, you have to listen to the Rob Liefeld yeah. interview. If you have come, not heard it, you need to tune in now. More to come, 193. Over 1700 downloads. Uh, in addition, uh, let's see. Uh, more to come, 291 in 2017. C.S. Picot by Kate. Uh, once again, over 1,600 uh, uh, Once again, you know, like when somebody builds an interview, and it wasn't just C.S. Picot, C.S. Picot and Joanna yes, the Mad, yes, uh, who, both of whom were doing a crossover from um, a lot of internet fame and popularity into, you know, mainstream comics with Fence. And, which is a great book, by the way. And I knew them, not personally, but I knew their work. And as soon as I heard they got a book deal, I was like, we got to do it, guys. Yeah. Like, right. Well, um, uh, I would read. Trust the fangirls. They know good stuff. If I didn't uh, uh, pull my own name out of a hat. As you time. should. Uh, but, well, uh, the Tim Fielder interview, um, uh, who's just an extraordinary uh, cartoonist and who, Really blew up here. More to come, number 304, over 6,600 downloads. Uh, I think I mentioned a little earlier my Ron Wimberly uh, interview from 2016. And we've interviewed Ron really about three or four times, or I have. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, more to come, number 240, 2,700 downloads. And the granddaddy of them all, more to come, 263. 
uh, Charles R. and I, Krista Faust, and Gary Phillips, Hard Case Crime Comics. Over 10,000 downloads. So, um, we've had some great interviews. Uh, you know, as you were talking, I did remember some of my favorite moments. And, uh, you know, I remember we did a Wonder Woman special. Oh, yes, that's, that's uh, right. That was great. Which number was that? 241. Yeah. Wonder Woman's 75th anniversary. We did kind of a, a round table talk about about uh, uh, Wonder Woman. Um, one of my favorite interviews was, uh, <clears throat> going back in time a little bit, uh, I talked to Mike Dawson. If you remember that yeah, one, so sure. remember there was this whole kerfuffle. You know, guys, we've covered a lot of kerfuffles over the years on this podcast. And uh, so Comics people make them, man. They make a kerfuffle. So there was a kerfuffle because Dawson was uh, kind of complaining about how his book, Angie Bon Giovanni, hadn't sold that well. And then the internet came back uh, and said, well, maybe it wasn't that good a book. So I talked to Mike, and we <laughs> well, had a, it was a really great conversation that we had just, you know, it was really interesting to talk to someone who'd kind of gotten dinged, gotten dragged, and, um, you know, talking about his work. And he was very candid about what he did right and wrong with it. Um, another one of my favorites was, I think, this one. Didn't I go to... Uh, to Brooklyn Comics and Graphics, and I asked people how they stored their comics. And we oh, yeah. That was about That's very that? dear to my heart. That one is uh, the best, uh, you know, I'd listen to that one and for inspiration all the time. Um, so, yeah, those were two of my favorites. I've, I've had a lot of fun talking to people who write books on the show. I've mm-hmm. talked to quite a few people who have written books about comics. I've talked to Bob Prohl, the novelist. Yes. I talked to Fred <laughs> Van Lenty yeah. and uh, Dan Garino, the uh, author of... Um, Comic Shop, the book about comic sure. stores. So I've had a lot of fun talking to authors, you know, who have kind of done these deep dives. I, I enjoy doing that, but, um, you know, and then the on the fly, I, you know, I'll say this, and we've talked about this off the air quite a bit, but um, when we started doing this and we'd go to cons and we would just grab people and do podcast interviews, you know, we have all these folks on our, you know, mm-hmm. I remember vividly uh, being at San Diego and talking to whoever the publicist was then, because they've gone through quite a few at the Boom booth. And whoever it was like, oh, well, you know, we have Noelle Stevenson sitting here. Do you want to talk to her? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And I had no idea. I mean, I hadn't read her mom at that point. Um, but I knew who she was. Sure. I did know who yeah. she was. But, uh, you know, so I talked to her because she was just hanging around with nothing to do. That doesn't happen anymore. Um, but, but, Calvin, don't you find now that uh, you everything must be planned in advance? Don't you well, think? I mean, it, it's better if you do. I, I don't at shows, at shows. I mean, I'm talking about the shows, and particularly at the big shows. I mean, I still do get uh, interviews, um, you know, uh, ad hoc, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I back myself up. I always, I've always got three to five really kind of scheduled. But uh, I still get shows. I still get uh, interviews pitched to me uh, at the show. Um, but you're 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 better off having a, a, a base of shows already yeah. in advance. Before well, you get there. I I find it's a lot harder. I've just I, it, it can be harder, yeah. harder to grab people because for a couple of reasons. And I think number one is just that shows are a lot more hectic. There's yeah. just you know people are a lot more about selling stuff and and doing planned interviews and all that. And also. I think people are just a lot more wary of being caught off guard and saying something that they maybe you know like like they want to be ready. They don't just want to be like, oh yeah, there you is know. Some of that. Well, yeah. oh, I I don't think it's necessarily necessarily the people themselves usually as their publicists. Oh, there have been enough PR too. disasters over the last I, ten years. You know, I think that there's more demands uh, by a variety of media on. Um, yeah. Oh, the artists. I, in my experience really, the bigger publishers prefer to you to be scheduled. But some of the smaller houses, they, they still, I found, uh, after I get there first, I find Comixology Originals, are, they, they do this to me all the time. They come, they say, hey, we've got this guy. Yeah. Hey, we've got that oh, guy. Oh yeah, I think publicists are a lot and better say, now about you know, can you do them? Do you want yeah. to do them? So I still get some of some, you know, I- improvised things coming up that I don't schedule. But uh, but I don't rely on that. I I do I do a, a few times, um, yeah. like where somebody if I go to a publicist and be like oh uh, you know I've got so and so. But then I invariably find that Calvin's already been there. <laughs> he has just swooped in and talked to. He's I, got like an I said, I instinct. Like to so. be well, you know when I started doing it because you told me to. <laughs> I did. That's right. I did. So I, good. I always make sure I've got. A number of things scheduled right. before Cal- I even get there. Calvin is a beast when it he comes to con he's interviews. Great. He's great. Well, he's really good at it. Well, I mean, we can talk. I, I will say that, like, one thing that I love to do, and I, I highly recommend, not necessarily for a podcast, but just for your own amusement, readers, 
is if you go to a comic show, go by Artist Alley. Go by sure. Artist Alley on Sunday. When people are packing up, a lot of people are gone. A lot of creators are still there, a little tired and hungover. You can talk to a lot of people, big names that you've read well, in your comics. Your point of, of the, the five-minute. Yeah. But I'm also saying that that's sometimes where people don't want to be caught. No, no. They usually don't want to be talk, talking for much longer than yes. like 30 seconds. What I'm saying is, is as a, listeners, as yourself, as a fan, you would be surprised at the people. You, you don't have to pay $200 to talk to this person. You just need to catch them at the right time in Artist Alley, and you never know who you're going to find just sitting there after they've run out of copies of their big book to sell. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm looking over our episode list as we do this. We've had several episodes that were called Upheaval at D.C. Well, and I think we'll, we'll have more going into the future. Uh, yeah. Uh, maybe we'll call it Upheaval at D.C. 5.4 or right? something. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I definitely some other ones that I enjoyed. Kate, you and I have done some solo episodes that I've really enjoyed doing. Yeah, um, those were always fun. We just did one a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. and, and Calvin, what inter what what episode was it when you and I got into the knockdown drag out over Alan Moore I that I will I never know, forget? I, I put that out of my mind. It wasn't one of my finer moments, but yeah. I, you know, well, it, was a, it was a good discussion until I kind of lost control. Well, so. I, I didn't necessarily mean it in that way. Just <laughs> well, that it's, that's what it was, but that's fine. But just, just don't it. Fight about but the I don't, fight. No, I don't remember. But I don't. Somehow or other, I, I don't remember. No, but I will say this: there was one podcast that I would like uh, to mention, uh, and that's more to come. Number two twenty, which was an extraordinary San Diego panel uh, that I moderated with an incredible lineup, and it was like turning our ideas into comics, and it was listening to. Four really extraordinary talented people talk about their working process oh my, and how they was do on it. That panel. And it was on the panel was Dirk Bachter, uh, Ron Wimberly, oh, yeah. Keith Knight, and Sidney Padua. You know the thrilling adventures of Lovelace and Babbage. Um, it was an amazing uh, talk because really they forgot about me, and it was really a discussion between them about you know the hero's quest, uh, how you think about narrative structure. Um, what about humor? How do you, I mean, it was a really, you, know, you want to know how the sausage is, is put together by a really talented sausage makers? Uh, it was extraordinary. So that's so, more to come 220. Oh, I see my favorite. I, I just looked at the list and I saw my all time favorite. What video. is that? That was, uh, more to come episode 216, San Diego, 2016, day two, when I got to talk to William Gibson. Oh, that's right. That's a great one. Yeah. Author and, we got to sit in the little room at the IDW booth for like 15 minutes talking about Pokemon Go and everything. And, you know, that was a absolute dream. I mean, he literally is my favorite living author, one of my all-time favorite authors, one of the greatest authors of all time in science fiction. So, yes, yes that was absolutely a magic moment. I will never forget. There yeah, and this, this podcast has brought some of that into my life as well. I mean, I, I spoke with Jim Butcher at one point, and, I mean, so many other people, but this year, one of my biggest gets and, and one of my favorite creators. I mean, I admit I, I prefer his television work to his comic work, but you know, that's personal taste. I got to interview J. Michael Straczynski. Wow. Yes. And yes. No, that was a great interview. That was something. I mean, not just as a personal <laughs> experience for myself, but as a listener, I think you really come away with like a greater understanding of how he works, um, where a lot of these ideas come from, and also just what it is like to be a creator with a specific and clear and, and brilliant vision in 90s television, which is to say it was really freaking hard. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was definitely, you know, way ahead of that uh, must-see cult TV uh, trend with Babylon 5, for sure, yeah. So. And, and, but... Funnily enough, many of his fond memories and many of his uh, worst struggles with uh, the network brass were not Babylon 5 at all. It was the real Ghostbusters. <laughs> and and listeners, listeners, if you like Ghostbusters the movie at all and you have any interest in theoretically children's cartoons, it's at last I checked it was on Netflix. Um, it is a sleeper hit. Why underrated by adults, although it was a ratings gonzo. Like, go in there and watch the J. Michael Straczynski episodes of The Real Ghostbusters. You'll see where he honed his craft. 
Wow. So, Calvin, is, who made you weak in the knees to interview? You talked about your friend was, but who was like, wow, um, I can't, you know. Hmm, that's a good question. Um, yeah. Hmm. Who did, yeah, who did I really I blow me away? <laughs> you know, I didn't think about it that way. I mean, we've all done, so, you know, in a weird way, and this is probably, I'll probably regret this, but um, more to come to 23, I got to interview Frederick Schott about uh, his, the, the mammoth uh, Osama Tezuka um, manga biography uh, done by Tezuka Productions. Uh, I indeed read the book. Uh, and I got a chance to talk to really a legendary figure, translator, friend of cohort of, of Tezuka. Um, and, uh, it was really thrilling to go through that biography and have him comment and talk about Tezuka at, you know, I mean, a man who he knew right. intimately. That, yeah, that's, and that's translate his life cool. for American readers. So, I, yeah, there's more, but really, off the yeah. top of my head, that was a get. That was yeah. a pretty impressive get and a wonderful conversation. So talking about these great episodes has made me think about all the great books that we've talked about in the past decade. And you know what, guys? We are so, like, I think we're just about out of time. So um, the next time we get together, we are going to talk about, you know, 2019. And then maybe shall we talk about the, the past decade? More yeah, let's do it. Let's do that. Yeah. yeah, so this is, there's more to come. Well, okay. as there's always. more to come with more to come. <laughs> But um, yes, and, you know, and think of it as our holiday present yes. to you, listeners, because it will be coming out. When so, uh, yeah, it'll be coming out right before Christmas because uh, in the next in two weeks, actually, I think next week yeah. we'll be chattering for stargazing, and yes. then we'll be back one more time in 2019 uh, to talk about stuff. So, if you like listening to Calvin, Kate, and Heidi, uh, leave us a message. Yes. Please rate us. Let us know. Give us some stars, people. Uh, because there will always be more to come.